0: Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday.
1: This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We're here today speaking with Dr. Tricia Pine. She's director of the Associated Archives at St. Mary's Seminary and University in uh, Roland Park. Dr. Pine, thanks for being with us.
2: Good to be here.
1: The Archdiocese of Baltimore is the oldest diocese. St. Mary's Seminary is the oldest American seminary. And the Sulpicians, who operate St. Mary's, were the first order that uh, Bishop John Carroll sought for assistance in here in the new Diocese of Baltimore. You oversee the collection of all three of these entities, making it one of the most important jobs in preserving the history of the American church. How does that make you feel when you walk in every morning, uh, knowing that you have such an important job?
2: Well, it it really is a privilege to be steward of the collections that are so significant to understanding the founding and development of the Catholic Church in this country. And the program they've created here in Baltimore is pretty unique. It came about through the collaborative effort of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, St. Mary's Seminary, and the U.S. Province of the Silpicians, and serves as the repository of these three organizations' archives and the idea for bringing these archives together is credited to Cardinal William Keeler uh, and he's the one that um, Suggested that they jointly fund the building of this new facility at St. Mary's, uh, which opened in the spring of 2002, so we're just marking our, uh, what is it, our 13th mm. anniversary very shortly. And they continue to share the cost of operating the program. Uh, and in bringing these collections together, it really highlights the long and shared history of these three institutions that, as you said, dates back to the founding period of the U.S. Catholic Church. And as you point out, it also includes uh, two archbishops who were also Sulpicians, so patient- so there, there really is a very close history between uh, the Silpicians, St. Mary's, and the Archdiocese.
1: That's great. So the the collections, while they're all housed together, they're separate. Is that right?
2: That's right. That's right. Each uh, institution continues to own their their archives, and they have specific policies for caring for their uh, records and for access, and and how they're how they're managed. So they're all in one facility, but there's three different areas that have been allocated in the building for the collections are housed, and the uh, division between them is very clear.
1: That must make for a very expansive um, a collection, and I'm wondering uh, how how they're organized?
2: Uh, Sure. Uh, Well, for the most part, um, we have um, a paper. It's largely a paper archives in our holdings, we have uh, letters of the archbishops, administrative uh, papers for the uh, provincials of the uh, Salpicians and for the operation of the uh, seminary. We also have things like uh, photos, and we have a small library, uh, very few artifacts. Uh, We also have a collection of uh, sacramental registers from the archdiocese parishes on microfilm, which is probably one of our most heavily used collections in the uh, the holdings, and we also have the archdiocesan newspapers on microfilm as well. so it's a it's a good mix, but it, it's mainly paper beepes, so you have to be prepared to read uh, when you <laughs> come to visit of And be able to get uh, to a lot, of, a lot
1: of paper. So... Um, can you give us a little bit of a f- feel for some of the more notable pieces that are in the collection that might be of interest to some folks?
2: Well, sure. Probably the most important uh, document that we have in our holdings is the papal document that established Baltimore as the first diocese in this country and appointed John Carroll uh, Bishop. Uh, we also have letters from U.S. presidents, including uh, Jefferson, Madison, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, we have uh, letters uh, from, and drawings of uh, Henry Benjamin Latrobe, the father of American architecture, who designed uh, Baltimore's uh, first uh, cathedral. Uh, We have uh, letters from bishops around the country and around the world, letters from the Holy See on a whole uh, range of matters. Um, We also have things like uh, letters from the holy men and women from the archdiocese who responded to the calls of the local church and went on to found religious communities, hospitals, schools, and churches here. And we also have letters from the laity that talk about their experience of what it was like to uh, settle in Baltimore Baltimore frequently from a from a foreign land. The struggles they went through uh, to find jobs, support their families, build churches and schools uh, for their communities, and and just to share what it what it meant to be a Catholic uh, in uh, in Baltimore. So it's it's a wide range of matters. Uh, I always say it's it's not just a, a collection of documents that we have in our, our buildings. It's uh, these are the documents that give witness to the history of the Archdiocese of of Baltimore. And they really are a legacy and why it's so important. That we uh, that we preserve them and take such good care of them.
1: You mentioned um, uh, President Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. He was uh, particularly close to Cardinal Gibbons, who was the longest serving Uh, Archbishop of Baltimore, wasn't he?
2: That's correct. He was our ninth Archbishop, and he uh, came into office in 1877 and died in uh, 1921, so that was quite a long uh, period of time to be in office. Uh, He was recognized to be leader of the U.S. Catholic Church during that time period, and so this is why we see U.S. presidents turning to him uh, for advice on different matters, particularly on uh, Catholic issues or matters that affected uh, the Catholic community, And, and one of those presidents that he became quite close to was Teddy Roosevelt. So uh, we do have a number of letters uh, and uh, uh, photographs of the two of them uh, together.
1: That must be pretty interesting though when you're uh, able to go through the archives and see letters, you know, you're holding letters that were written by U.S. presidents.
2: Oh absolutely, pretty special, along with uh, letters from um, those who went on to be declared saints, such as Elizabeth Ann Seton or St. John uh, Neumann, so, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always just a thrill to open up a box, and sometimes you're never quite <laughs> sure what never you're going to you find, but then right. you usually will find a treasure.
1: Um, I would imagine there will be people who hear this program who may have some interest in seeing uh, those documents that are publicly available for view. Um, is, it, is the archives available to the public, and if so, how do they, how do they uh, make that happen?
2: Sure, uh, we are. Um, we um, we do have a web page that uh, has a, a good description of the holdings that we have in our archives and what's open for people to uh, consult. Uh, we do require that people make appointments uh, to come in and work with the material. I said uh, some of our most heavily used collections are the uh, Sacramento records, which is why we do require appointments because we do have so many people uh, coming in to take a look at them, and also those who want to look at the uh, archdiocese and newspapers. Our collection of directories for people who want to go back and um, reconstruct what their parish looked like over time. They want to see who the pastors were, how many people were attending their parish, uh, who was uh, operating the school, how many students are enrolled, uh, so things like that. So we have a number of resources that are of great interest, both to the family historian and the parish historian. Uh, We also have a number of uh, scholars and graduate students who come in, who are working on various projects, books, articles, dissertations, who do need to have access to the papers of the archbishops and the provincials of the Sulpicians uh, to uh, develop a better understanding of the uh, project that they're researching.
1: Why is it important to preserve history by holding on to such things as letters and photographs?
2: Well, I, I, um, I think as I, um, I, I mentioned a minute ago, uh, we really have to see these as um uh, uh, as our legacy. They give a uh, voice to those who went before us and relate to them, their experiences, their their struggles, their triumphs, their, um, uh, their, their witness to what it was to be uh, a, a Catholic at a certain point in time. And these documents allow us to do that. They allow us to go back and reconstruct what was happening at a particular point in time and understand what the church was going through uh, in different points in history.
1: And how is, how is technology um evolved and, and changed the way people who do what you do.
2: Well, it's had a tremendous impact on our research. It's, it's um, allowed us to do many things that we weren't able to do in the past, um, particularly in how we organize our material, uh, where it's really had the greatest impact um, uh, probably is in our ability to digitize a number of our holdings, specifically photographs. Uh, in the past, when someone wanted a copy of a photograph, we would have to take it out to a photo lab and then go back and pick it up, and it was a very time consuming process. But now we can just scan it in uh, to the dimensions and specifications of uh, of the people who made the request, send it to them, and then once it's scanned in, we can continue to use it in whatever format, either uh, for other requests or in publications or on the website. So it really just enables us to do do so much more with our photo holdings and so much quicker and uh, and more efficiently for the for the staff.
1: You mentioned the sacramental records are popular and I assume that's because you have people doing uh, genealogy, family yes. history right, research right So uh, what do you uh, what advice do you have for the amateur, if not the expert genealogist?
2: Well, again, uh, uh, we have a page on our website that is dedicated just uh, for those who are interested in working on their family history. It it, uh, reviews what we have in our holdings, but also we have a number of resources and uh, suggestions for those who are just getting started, uh, the information that they'll need to know uh, to get started to to identify where their family lived, what parish they might have uh, attended. Uh, We have links to a number of other resources, just census records, online directories, um, different repositories that have records that would be of interest to those working on their on their family history so um, would recommend anyone who uh, does have some questions as to how they get started or perhaps maybe how they continue their research if they've run into a dead end to take a look at our, our website for some, uh, some suggestions
1: well um, I'm sure the information that you uh, are making available on your website, as well as the, um, the wonderful organization of the archives uh, will make it as easy as possible and the people who come there. And uh, again, for information, uh, visit the archives uh, webpage, which is part of the Mary's, uh, that's, that's
2: uh, St. Mary's website. It's stmarys.edu.
1: Perfect. And uh, for more information, please visit that website. Dr. Tricia Pine uh, from St. Mary's Seminary. Thanks for being with
2: us.
3: Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. When teachers arrive at St. Elizabeth School in Baltimore and Villa Maria School in Timonium, both Catholic institutions that educate children with special needs, they are often looking to establish experience and credibility in their field. Often, they never leave. Doug Loftus, a 28-year-old teacher at Villa Maria who began his career as an assistant at St. Elizabeth, says he can't imagine doing anything else. I feel like I make a difference, Loftus said. He added, you get a bunch of tough days, but you just need to see the light bulb click every once in a while. Villa Maria, operated by Catholic Charities of Baltimore, educates approximately 90 students, ages five through 15, at its location off Delaney Valley Road. St. Elizabeth, located in the Ednor Gardens Lakeside neighborhood, educates 116 students, ages six to 21. Learn more about these institutions in the latest print edition or at CatholicReview.org. In other news, Friday is St. Patrick's Day. It is also a Friday in Lent. However, you won't have to eat your cabbage by itself. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lauri has granted a dispensation to Catholics in the Archdiocese allowing meat on Friday, March 17th. Catholics taking advantage of the dispensation are encouraged to make some other response that day. Service to the poor, giving alms, and extra prayer are some examples. Speaking of prayer, somebody was, because the bill that would have legalized physician-assisted suicide in Maryland was withdrawn on Friday, March 3rd. That's not to say stop praying. Proponents of assisted suicide will be back next year. These stories and many more at catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt.
4: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org.
0: You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Welcome back to Catholic
1: Baltimore. This is Sean Kane. We're here today with Dr. Rod Mortel, who's the director of the Office of Missions for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, Deacon Mortel. Welcome. Thank you. So, you've worked for the Archdiocese for many years. Um, can you talk a little about what your current role is and um, how it was that you came to uh, to work here?
5: I was appointed uh, Director of uh, Missions for the Archdiocese of Baltimore by uh, his Eminence Cardinal Killer in 2001. Two weeks following my uh, ordination as a deacon, I was... Uh, We commended to the position by uh, my predecessor, Monsignor Victor Galeon, who became uh, bishop of uh, the diocese of August, St. Augustine in Florida.
1: Great. And uh, people can obviously tell by your accent that you're not uh, from here. So can you talk a little bit about your background? And um, it will become obvious now what your current job is.
5: Well, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Haiti and went to medical school uh, in Haiti, practiced general medicine in Haiti for two years before I came to the United States uh, via Montreal, Canada. Then I uh, was... uh, Further trained in obstetric and gynecology at the Hanneman Medical College in Philadelphia and then uh, in gynecologic uh, oncology at the Memorial Sloan Catherine Cancer Center in New York. I joined Penn State in 1972 as an assistant professor and became uh, head of the department of OBGYN at Penn State, a position that I held for. Uh, Thirteen years before I became an associate dean and uh, funding director of the Penn State University Cancer Center.
1: So now you, uh, as part of your role with the Archdiocese, you direct something called the Haiti Outreach Project. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: That is so. I, the the uh, the Baltimore Haiti project was uh, funded, I would say, by. Uh, Uh, is Eminence Cardinal uh, Killer, and uh, it consists of uh, a partnership between the archdiocese of uh, Baltimore and also the diocese of uh, Gunaive in Haiti. Now, this uh, program uh, is centered around uh, the, the two dioceses, but filtered down to the uh, parishes so we have a program within the program we have the the uh, parish partnership program which uh, consists of uh, a sister parish uh, relationship between the parishes of the Archdiocese of Baltimore and uh, the parishes uh, of the diocese of uh, Gonaïve in Haiti. And uh, it, it is intended to uh, forge bonds of uh, a, a relationship between uh, the parishioners of the archdiocese and those of the, the diocese of, uh, uh, of, of uh, Gonaïve. And which exposed the parishioners of the Archdiocese not only to uh, a country of different culture, but uh, uh, also a country with a very rich spirituality. Uh,
1: One obviously important um, benefit of that relationship was the the tragic earthquake in Haiti and the opportunity for the archdiocese to support our sisters and brothers there. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how the Haiti, how Haiti was impacted by the earthquake, and more recently in your most recent visit, how you find it today, and maybe how the archdiocese was able to support it?
5: Well, uh, immediately uh, after the uh, earthquake, uh, we uh, traveled to Haiti. Uh, with the Catholic Relief uh, Services and uh, work the, uh, as part of the uh, Archdiocese uh, team you know, to help uh, medically the uh, people uh, of, uh, a, of Haiti. And uh, the, the schools... That comprised the mission of the Archdiocese. The schools were not uh, affected uh, greatly. There was some uh, minor uh, problem with the school, but that were fixed uh, very well and and rapidly. However, these schools of the uh, of the mission receive a large number of students. Who were uh, whose schools were totally uh, were uh, level yeah. uh, 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 in in other points? This was one way. Uh, uh, the the other way that the, uh, the is uh, assist again is to uh, build a a, a a a trade school to help uh, the youth of the uh, of the. Uh, uh, of, of the diocese of uh, gonaive to benefit of uh, the uh, 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 I, m- I mean the the technique available in the united states that were not available in haiti
1: right so you visited there most recently so how are things now
5: but it, things are progressing but painfully slowly i mean with uh, A country that had no infrastructure, uh, you can understand why the progress has been slow. However, uh, I must say that the number of people who are living in tents has decreased considerably. And I think that, I think this is uh, progress.
1: Mm. What—the uh, Haiti Outreach Project is just one area that your office is involved in, or what are some of the other things that the missions office of the Archdiocese is involved in?
5: Well, uh, as part of the Haiti program also, I, uh, I need to indicate that there were a program for the youth where the youth of the uh, schools of the Archdiocese travel to Haiti every uh, summer to have camp. With uh, the, uh, the the students of our schools in Haiti, and beside that mission, we have uh, we we have started a uh, talk to is trying to establish a relationship with the diocese in Cuba, uh, the diocese of Pina del Rio, the one the closest the United States. Uh, this is still uh, on the uh, exploration stage. However, we visited uh, Cuba, visited with the uh, bishop uh, of that particular diocese, and he came to the United States in September and visited various, uh, a set of the Catholic charities in the archdiocese.
1: And finally, what are your what are your thoughts on the recent developments in terms of U.S. Cuban relations?
5: Well, I supported wholeheartedly the, the decision of the administration to uh, really uh, alleviate uh, the uh, the situation of the people in Cuba. Uh, the embargo has been in. Uh, uh, in place for over fifty years, and I'm very sensitive to the embargo because my father died as a direct uh, uh, result of the embargo. Embargo that uh, United States imposed on Haiti in our 1994. Uh, there were no uh, antibiotics, no medications that uh, uh, people had access to. And that's exactly what I found in Cuba when I went two years ago and again last year. The priests uh, of various parishes have to uh, get some medicine for uh, uh, their parishioners when when they are sick. Mm. So I I think uh, the people of Cuba will benefit immensely.
1: How can uh, people learn more about the missions office? Is that through the website of the archdiocese? Yeah, the, uh,
5: the website of the uh, of, of the is a, uh, is kept updated uh, a, uh, as far as the activities of the uh, of the mission office, and uh, also uh, high hopes for Haiti, which is uh, the uh, mouthpiece of the Motel Family Foundation, is also a site to uh, a. a to visit because uh, the Mortal the Family Charitable Foundation is the uh, uh, organization that uh, really uh, operates the schools, the mission that uh, the Archdiocese establishes in, in
1: Haiti. Excellent. So for more information about the Missions Office and the Haiti Outreach Project, you can visit archbalt.org or just Google search Mortel Family Charitable Foundation for more information. Dr. Mortel, thanks for being with us.
5: Thank you.